Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, also known as the Early Consolidated Business Complex. The Early Chamber of Commerce office located on 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377 back behind where they're building the new Longhorn Townhomes. We hope to be able to meet you this morning, but if not this morning, maybe sometime in the near future. This morning, we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, as we continue our series in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand, of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. If you're just joining us this morning, we are in Revelation chapter 7. Now, in Revelation chapter 7, the tribulation is in full swing. The Apostle John is seeing the events unfold from the throne room of Christ, and he has been charged with writing what he sees and hears, and then sending it to the churches to prepare them to meet the Lord. Revelation chapter 7 shows us the Lord accomplishing his purpose for the tribulation. There is a purpose for the great tribulation, which happens at the end of time, the seven years leading into the return of Christ. There's a purpose for that, and it's not necessarily judgment and wrath, although that is part of it. The seven-year tribulation 
is the 70th week from the book of Daniel. And the 70 weeks from the book of Daniel were designed to bring mankind to repentance and to bring in everlasting righteousness. It says that explicitly in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. To finish the transgression, that's Israel's rebellion, that's mankind's rebellion. Seventy weeks determined to finish the rebellion of mankind against the Lord, to finish the rebellion of mankind against God. And so 70 weeks were determined in the book of Daniel. That 70th week, the last period of that, would, will be the seven-year tribulation. Those 70 weeks also designed to make an end to sin, to put an end to sin on this earth, to put an end to the devastation that sin brings, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to reconcile man to God or God to man. That's what we know as salvation, to rebuild that bridge between mankind and God, to bring in that reconciliation and that reunification, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This is where you have a world and a life of righteousness with no sin and to seal up the vision and prophecy. That's to finish God's plan and to anoint the most holy. That is the crown Jesus King. That's the whole point of the 70 weeks of Daniel, of which the seven-year tribulation is the last of the 70 weeks. And so the entire purpose of the tribulation is to bring man to repentance, to put an end to sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to reconcile God and man, and to crown Jesus King, and to sit him on the throne of his earthly kingdom forever and ever. Now, part of the purpose of the seven-year tribulation is to bring people to a final decision on Christ. When the events of the seven-year tribulation unfold, man will not be able to plead ignorance anymore. Man will not be able to say that he is undecided on whether or not God exists and whether or not he wants to know God. He won't be able to claim blissful ignorance, plausible deniability, uh, that he's still searching or that he's still investigating. The events of the seven-year tribulation will be so cataclysmic that man will know without a doubt that God exists. And he will be forced to make a decision. Mankind will. Man will. Each individual person will be forced to make a decision whether they want to repent and trust the Lord as their Savior or whether they want to reject God and spend the final years of their life fighting against God before they receive everlasting condemnation. Furthermore, part of the purpose of the seven-year tribulation is directed specifically at Israel to bring them to repentance, to bring them to a place where they can always be the kingdom that God wanted them to be. So in Revelation chapter 7, we see the Lord's purpose being accomplished. We see a revival in Revelation chapter 7. We see a revival happening in Israel. We see massive numbers of conversions happening in Revelation chapter 7. And we see Revelation chapter 7 reminding us of the eternal hope for believers. So let's talk about this massive revival. In verses 2 through 4 here in Revelation chapter 7, the Bible says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, 
Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now this is the instance that is popularly referred to as the sealing of the 144,000 people. And this has been a subject of various theological debates, discussions, theories. There are certain religions that believe that this teaches that only 144,000 people will actually get into the city of heaven. That's not uh, what this uh, passage is teaching. What this passage is teaching is that there will literally be 144,000 Jewish men who will be sealed as servants of God. They are being sealed, okay? This means that they are being called to salvation. They are being converted, and then they are being called to a special area of service. This special area of service that they are being called to will be to bear witness of Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel, to prophesy to the nation of Israel, to preach God's word to the nation of Israel, which will lead to millions more people being saved. God here in Revelation chapter 7 is accomplishing his will of saving massive numbers of people. Now, notice as the 144,000 are being sealed, nothing could hurt them prior to being sealed. In other words, God had selected which ones he wanted sealed, and there was nothing that could harm them up until that point. And notice how special it was to be sealed. They would have the seal of the living God in their foreheads. They, they would be called to a special service for God, a special service to preach the gospel to the Israeli nation. There was a very special place. It was a very special honor. It was very special to be sealed. And notice the security of their seal, that their seal could not be taken away. And this is very similar to our own salvation experiences, how God knows what your decision on him is going to be, and he's going to bring you to that decision, and nothing is going to harm you before you reach that decision. That it's very special to be called to salvation, to be called to service, to be called to serve the Lord. And that that is a secure calling, that's a secure position, that God does not revoke his salvation from his children, that their salvation is secure. Now, just as God called and sealed these 144,000 in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, he has called us. Nothing can harm you prior to God's call. It may seem like it. You may say, Leland, I've got some evidence to the contrary. There's a lot to that, and we can talk about that at another time. But when you accept God's gift of salvation, you become one of his servants sent forth to testify of his gospel. When the Lord saves you, he seals you. You are his. Jesus says that my father who gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them from my hand. You are secure. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are saved, you are secure. You never have to worry about losing that salvation, but not only are you saved and secure, but God has called you to a special area of service. And that special area of service involves spreading the gospel to others. See, Christianity is supposed to be contagious. Just as these 144,000 individuals will impact their nation, you can impact your nation as well by spreading the gospel, by supporting the spread of the gospel, 
by being a witness and living your life as a witness to Jesus Christ. So we see this revival taking place in Israel in Revelation chapter 7. And as that happens, we see a massive number of conversions. As we continue in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, the Apostle John says, After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Earlier, there was a multitude of people beneath the altar of God who had been killed for their faith. We read that earlier in the book of Revelation. And now there's an entire crowd before the throne which cannot be counted. They cannot be numbered. There are so many people there, they can't get a head count. These are folks who have been saved and martyred during the tribulation. And you read about their martyrdom toward the end of the chapter where it says that uh, no longer will they hunger, no longer will they thirst, no longer will they, they be killed by the sword, or neither shall the, shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. They had died for the faith. So we see in Revelation chapter 7, we have this massive number of conversions that has happened here. And we have a massive number of people who have been killed for their faith and that they have come into the presence of Christ and that they are wearing white robes, which represents the righteousness of Christ that he gives us upon our repentance and our faith. And they're massive, they're number, they're uncountable. It is a huge multitude of people. These folks had been saved during the tribulation. God's plan to bring about massive numbers of conversions through tribulation in Revelation chapter 7 is working. You see, what this tells us is that one day we will see a great revival such as nothing the world has ever seen before. And that's something that should be exciting to us. And it's interesting that you see this massive revival happening during the midst of the tribulation. The Bible records quite a few periods of prosperity quite a few periods of hardship. And if you look at what happens in Scripture and you look at the history of mankind, the conversions, the revivals, the massive numbers of people turning to God typically happen during the hard times. Good times rarely ever lead to revival. You look at our nation. You look at the history of the United States. You look at the times that we've had great revivals in the United States. You look at the 1930s. We had a lot of churches that were built, that were founded, that expanded during the 1930s. Well, what was going on during the 1930s? In the 1930s, we had the Great Depression, hard times. Man's ability to be self-sufficient was in question. And when man's ability to be self-sufficient is called into question, man turns to the one that can answer his prayers and answer his needs and provide for him, and that's God. We saw a great revival happening in our nation in the 1930s. We saw a great revival happening around the turn of the century, back around from 1899 to 1900, leading into World War I. There were a number of issues that were happening there that were driving people to uh, repentance. World War II, we thought that Hitler was the literal Antichrist, and so people were flocking into churches in World War II. This led to the great spiritual revival of the 1950s. The 1940s and the 1950s, a time of great spiritual revival. In the 1940s, we had World War II, which we thought was going to end the world. 
And it was so dire and desperate that the Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, called upon C.S. Lewis to give a series of radio lectures to explain Christianity to the people so that there could be a revival in England, so that there could be a revival in Europe, so that the people would turn to the Lord before the world ended. I mean, that's that's a really big deal when a government official is calling upon a well-known theologian to go on the radio and to teach the people about Christianity. What brings that? Hardship brings that. Tribulation brings that. Following World War II, that spiritual revival continued into the 1950s. And while the 1950s are remembered as a prosperous time, there were a lot of things that we were concerned about in the 1950s, from the polio outbreak to the ever-present nuclear threat from the Soviet Union. The people in the 1950s, we tend to believe the good things about a decade and not the bad things about a decade. The 1950s were a time that many Americans believed that their world could end at any minute. We saw a great spiritual surge happening in the 1950s. We saw the rise of great preachers such as Billy Graham happening during that time. If you look around Brown County, you look around Texas, you'll see that a lot of our Baptist churches were started in the 1950s. Many others started in the 30s and the 40s. It was a time of great spiritual revival. Why? Because there was tribulation. There was hardship. This great tribulation that will happen toward the end of the world, toward the end of our age, will bring about a great revival that will lead to countless numbers of people being saved. Now, these converts here in Revelation chapter 7, they were praising and worshiping God for their salvation. Now, this is a far cry from the voice of those who are beneath the altar who are crying out for justice. These converts who had just entered into the presence of the Lord after having their lives taken from them on this earth, they weren't questioning the hardship that they were put through. They were just praising God for rescuing them from it. Do you praise God for your salvation? Do you worship him for it? Do you value it? Or are you still complaining about your lot in life? See, Revelation chapter 7 shows us God accomplishing his will through the tribulation. We see that with the revival in Israel that will happen in Revelation chapter 7. We see that through the massive number of converts that's happening. And then we see that through the hope of eternal salvation. We look here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. The angel tells John, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These who stand before the Lord, who bow before the Lord, who are worshiping the Lord, they washed their robes. This means that they were cleansed. The condition of your clothing in Scripture when it is being used as a symbol indicates your spiritual condition. And so when, you, when you're reading the book of Revelation, it makes mention of the fact that they were wearing white robes, that they had washed their robes. What this is talking about is it is talking about spiritual purity. It is talking about righteousness. It's talking about holiness. When you see people arrayed in white robes in Scripture, and the Scripture is making a point of the white robes, it's telling you that this is a righteous man when it's using it as a symbol. We go back to the book of Zechariah, and you see the high priest Joshua standing before the Lord wearing filthy garments, and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. What that's telling you is that Joshua, representing his people, 
were representing a sinful people, that he was representing the sin of the people, that he stood before the Lord guilty, that he stood before the Lord ashamed of his sin. And in the book of Zechariah, what the Lord says is to give him a change of raiment, to change his clothes, to put a white robe upon him and a fair mitre upon his head. That's like a little crown that that the high priest would wear. It's very similar to the one that the Pope wears. And so they were told to give Zechariah a change of raiment, a change of clothes. That's what the Lord does. When you turn from your sins, you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He doesn't send you to the laundromat. He gives you a change of clothes altogether. He takes the old away, the filth and the guilt and the shame of that sin. He takes that away and he gives you a whole new set of clothing. He gives you his righteousness. And so these that were standing before the Lord in Revelation chapter 7, they were wearing they were wearing white robes, which symbolizes that they had been given the righteousness of Christ, that they had been cleansed of sin, that they had been cleansed of spiritual filth, that they had been purged and made pure. The cleaning agent was the blood of the lamb, the blood of Christ. It says that they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. You see, when Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, he paid the price for our sin. He took the punishment for our sin upon himself. He shielded us from the wrath of God, taking it all upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. And that salvation becomes effective for us once we turn from our sins and we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. At that moment, we get our white robes, if you will. And the Lord becomes our Savior. Now, notice that these converts here in Revelation chapter 7, what it t- tells us about them in verse 14, says, These are they which came out of great tribulation. They came out of great tribulation. So when they were, were killed, when their lives were taken from them, whether it was through starvation, thirst, by the sword, somebody murdered them, whether it was by being stuck out in the desert and exposed to the elements until their life was taken from them. When their lives were taken from them, their suffering on this earth ended. The Lord rescued them from that and brought them into his presence. The Lord rescued them. Their suffering was over. But never forget that their faith was forged in the suffering. And there is something that we need to remember from that. First of all, that when we are going through problems of life, the Lord is forging our faith. He is forging our spiritual fortitude. He is forging our patience and our endurance and our ability to serve him in all and to be faithful to him and to trust him in all circumstances of life. But there is coming a day when we will be rescued from our problems and we will be rescued from our headaches and we will be rescued from our health problems. There's coming a day that the Lord is going to rescue us from this world that we are in. And when he rescues us, we will find ourselves in his presence and we will want to worship him at that moment. Revelation chapter seven, verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. These converts are enjoying a blessing that all true believers will one day enjoy. They are in the Lord's presence. They will be in the Lord's presence for eternity. They will see him. They are seeing him. And like one day we will get to see him, the one in whom we have believed. I love that song. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. 
the one verse that opens up, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back like a scroll, the trumpet shall sound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. One day my faith shall be sight. The song says, and Lord, haste the day that my faith shall be sight. If you're a Christian, you're listening to this program. You may be holding on to that faith. You may be staying faithful in the face of all adversity. You may be wondering if God has forgotten about you. You may be wondering why you're doing all this. You may be thinking of just giving up and floating off into the darkness and just living like everybody else does and to just quit caring because nobody cares that you care. And you're wondering if any of this is even worth it. If, if, I mean, what's the point, right? But I'm telling you that scripture promises that one day your faith shall be made sight. The Bible talks about how when we enter into heaven, that we won't need faith anymore because if you see it right in front of you, then what is faith? Faith is having not seen, but still believe. The day is coming that your faith is going to be converted from faith to sight to reality. And that day is coming soon. One day we will dwell with the Lord. And that's been God's plan from the beginning to dwell among us. It's why the temple was built. It's why the tabernacle was built. It's why God does what he does to be reunited with us. But he has to purge the sin first. And that's what the tribulation is about. In verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Here in Revelation chapter 7, this multitude of believers before the throne of the Lord, their suffering was over. The Lord would care for them forever that he would feed them and lead them unto living fountains of waters. You know, when I read that, I think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He prepareth a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The Lord will take care of them forever. The Lord will provide for them. The Lord will care for them forever. Their suffering was over. This is a reminder to us that we will be rescued from this world and the Lord will comfort us and wipe away all tears and care for us forever. And the Lord will wipe away all tears. Whatever it is today that you mourn for, whatever it is today that breaks your heart, the day is coming that the Lord will comfort you and heal you from that. He will wipe away your tears. Trust him for that. Life goes on, And sometimes it seems that life drags on, but then we look back over our lives and we see that our lives have passed by us quicker than we imagined. I turned 40 years old recently. It is amazing to me how fast the last 40 years have gone. I have friends on Facebook that I went to high school with. Some of them have kids who are graduating from high school. I have kids who are graduating from high school. Some of my high school classmates who have entered into their 40s are already grandparents. Kids that I sat next to in high school in algebra class are now grandparents. I mean, where does the time go, right? One day, that little boy of yours, he is uh, he is playing in the sandbox, and he is just a little tyke. 
And the next day, you're teaching him how to drive. The day after that, you're attending his wedding. And the day after that, you're being introduced to his baby boy. Where does the time go? It flies by, does it not? Just as our lives on this earth have flown by and go faster than we imagine, the day is coming faster than we imagine that the Lord will pull us out of this world, that he will deliver us from this world, and he will bring us into his presence and into his heaven forever. Believe in that day, trust in that day, hope for that day, trust the Lord, and be looking for his coming. And be prepared for it as well. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today is today to make that decision. Make that conscientious decision to turn from your sin and to trust Jesus Christ to receive you into heaven because he died on the cross for your sins. And then come visit with us at Life Point Baptist Church. Life Point Baptist Church, we meet for Sunday school this morning at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, back behind where they're building the new Longhorn Townhomes on Highway 377. Back behind there, you'll see the green and white metal building. That's the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility. Just come through the front door and then go to the meeting room, and we'll be glad to meet with you. If we don't get to meet you this morning, maybe someday in the near future, may God bless you and may God keep you will be our prayer.